Never mind. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of my King rise among us. Let it rise. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the joy of my King rise among us. Let it rise. Creation itself is a 
testament to God's goodness towards us. And in that testament, the rocks themselves will cry out one day. There's one prayer that we have that we sing a greater song every day. And I prayed with the praise band before we started. I said, you know, the best we offer is really like filthy rags. But that's all I have. That's all I have. I just give him what I have. And that's what we ask you to do this morning. Who could imagine the melody True enough to tell of your mercy Who could imagine the harmony Sweet enough to tell of your love I see the heavens proclaiming you day after day and I know in my heart that there must be a way to sing a greater song, a greater song to you on the earth, to sing a greater song, a greater song to you. Imagine a symphony Grand enough to tell of your glory Our highest praise but a feeble breath A whisper of your thunderous word And I see the heavens proclaiming you day after day and I know in my heart that there must be a way to sing a greater song, a greater song to you on the earth, to sing a greater song, a greater song to you on the to sing a greatest song, a greatest song to you on the earth. To sing a greatest song, a greatest song to you on the earth. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We want to lift you higher, hallelujah, we want to lift you higher, hallelujah, we want to lift you higher, hallelujah, we want to lift you higher, 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 higher. I see the head proclaiming you day after day and I know in my heart that there must be a way sing it one more time I see the heavens proclaiming you day after day and I know in my heart that there must be a way 
greatest song to you on the earth to sing a greatest song a greatest song to you on the earth to sing a greatest song a greatest song to you on the earth to sing a
I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship Sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. But it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. But it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. This is not about you stopping worshiping and starting to just watch us perform. Remember that. This is continuation. Everything and I will. 
that song holy 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 you know what holy means it means separate distinct other unique there's no one like Jesus this is the Holy Bible that means there's no other book like it it is separate and distinct 
and unique. This is Gideon Sunday, and I want to talk about the Bible this morning. We've talked about theology. We've talked about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've talked about sin and creation and revelation. And today, I want to talk about the Bible because so much of what we know about God and Jesus, everything is through his word. Psalm 119, verse 97. The truth of the Bible is the name of the message, and there's an outline in it. I've got some, some characteristics of the Bible that make it holy, that make it unique and distinct. Psalm 119, verse 97. The psalmist writes in the longest chapter in the, in the Bible, by the way, Oh, how I love thy law. It is thy, my meditation all the day. Thy commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep thy precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep thy word. I do not turn aside from thy ordinances, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. Let's pray. Father, we just pause today to thank you that we have your word in a translation that we can read and understand because that is so rare in the history of mankind. We thank you. And there are people on, around the world today that still don't have the Bible in their language, in their hands, where they can open it up and learn of your glories and your riches and your holiness. Father, we worship you today. Thank you for revealing yourself in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you stop and think about it, it is such a blessing that we even have the Bible today. When you think about all that it went through in order to come down to our hands. And yet I'm afraid so many of us take it for granted. There are about 300 published versions of the Bible in our language. It is still the best-selling book of all time. And yet I'm also afraid that it is also one of the least read books of all time. So you can say it is one of the best-selling, least-read books. Everybody talks about it, but few people really read it and study it. It reminds me of a story I heard about a preacher that went to visit this lady, and trying to impress him, she told her daughter, she said, Honey, go into the den and bring Mommy that book on the coffee table that she loves so much. The little girl ran into the den and came back with the Sears and Roebuck catalog. <laughs> and that's the way it is in so many houses. And, and uh, the problem is that, that we allow the world to dictate to us Christians how we treat the Bible. And we want to be so politically correct with it. So we let folks ridicule it as being historically inaccurate or scientifically impossible. And uh, there's just a double standard going on in our world today when it comes to the Bible. Do you remember the story a couple weeks ago, of course you do, about the preacher in Florida who threatened to burn one Quran or, or some Korans? And uh, everybody from Washington, from the Middle East, begged him not to do so for fear of stirring up anti-American sentiment. Well, if you're watching the news, 
were you aware that in May 2009, the military was ordered to burn thousands of Bibles that were sent to Afghanistan to be distributed to help reach those people for Jesus Christ? The military was ordered to burn those Bibles because they were afraid of stirring up anti-American sentiment. So we can burn Bibles to keep from stirring up anti-American sentiment, but we can't burn a Quran. What am I missing here? Why is the Bible treated with such less respect than any other book in the world? This is the one and only holy book. Holy, separate, distinct, other, unique. There is none like it. It is the only light into our path, lamp into our feet. And when you think about how it came to us, you will understand maybe and appreciate God's hand in preserving and passing this great book down to us. And and I hope if nothing else this morning when you leave here today, you'll have a greater appreciation for everything that this book went through in order to be held in your hands, in your language today. The first thing I want you to, to marvel at is its preservation. It is a miracle of God that we even have a Bible in our hands today, when you consider all that it went through these past 2,000 years. In the fourth century, Diocletian, Roman emperor, made it his main job to wipe out Christianity, to kill Christians, and to burn Bibles. And finally, he erected a column that said in Latin, the name of Christians has been extinguished forever. Twenty years later, Diocletian was dead And Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And the Bible resurfaced once again. Voltaire, in the 18th century, the age of reason, said, the Bible doesn't make sense. And uh, he said that because of reason and rationality, that the Bible um, should not be read or studied. Well, you see what happened to Voltaire and what happened to the Bible. Voltaire Um, died, (laughs) and the Bible still lives. Thomas Paine, in the late 18th century, an American colonist said the Bible was a myth, and that uh, all the things that happened in the Bible weren't really true. Well, Thomas Paine is now dead. The Bible is still alive. Of all the people that have attacked the veracity, the truthfulness, the integrity, the use of the Bible... All those people have faded from the scene, and the Bible still stands tall today. It reminds me of a a wall I heard uh, was built by an Irishman. If you've ever been to Ireland, you see they got millions of rocks, and they build all those walls out of rocks. One rock, I mean, one wall was two feet high and three feet wide. And somebody asked this Irishman, why did you build a wall with those dimensions, only two feet high? And three feet wide. And he said, that way, if somebody tries to knock it over, it'll be taller than when we started. And it's the same thing with the Bible. The more you try to knock it over, it just keeps coming back. How long will it persevere? Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. God's word will stand Forever, Even when heaven and earth pass away, God's word still stands. It has been preserved. But what about its accuracy? Because critics and cynics will say, you know, there are things in the Bible that just didn't happen. There are things that couldn't be true that are 
scientifically impossible or historically inaccurate. And, and my argument with that is, if there's something in the Bible that doesn't seem archaeologically possible, then it's because we haven't discovered that archaeological site yet. And it has been proven over and over again. There were people who said there was nobody named Abraham and there was no land called Ur of the Chaldees, which is where Abraham was from in the Old Testament. Well, archaeologists have discovered a city called Ur, and in that city called Ur, there was the name of Abraham found inscribed on several of the columns. There were people who, who said there was no civilization called the Hittite civilization that is referred to several times in the Old Testament. Well, archaeologists have recently uncovered a civilization called the Hittite civilization. There were folks who said that in John 5, where there's a lame man lying by the pool of Bethesda, and that pool had five porticos, five openings, they said there's no such place. That miracle must have been a myth. It must have been made up because there's no such pool in Bethesda like that. Well, about 40 years ago, archaeologists uncovered a pool in Bethesda, and guess how many porticos it had? It had five, just as is listed in John chapter 5. It goes on and on. But I tell you, what was a, a stirring moment for me? In 1999, Catherine, Susan, and I went to the Holy... Well, we went to the, the, the trail that Paul went. And in Corinth, there's a, a place called the Bema. There are uh, concrete and stone everywhere. My professor pulled me aside from the group. He was our tour guide, and he led me down a grassy slope and showed me some mosaics and marbles that were out in the open. The, the uh, antiquities department of, of Greece still hadn't preserved it ac uh, adequately. And he said, can you read that? And it was in Latin. I took a picture of it, and I don't know if we have the picture we can throw up on the screen or not, but uh, it said in Latin, Erastus, city treasurer, and then it had um, SP, um, SUA, stands for SUA propensity, put here at his own expense. Now, what does Erastus City Treasurer put here at his own expense? Well, apparently there's somebody in Corinth named Erastus who, who the town appreciated, and they, they, they let him put a marker up there in Corinth, but he had to pay for it. Now, what does that, what does that have to do with us? If you read Romans 16:23. It's the end of Romans where Paul is writing from Corinth and he's sending greetings to Rome. It says this, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Do you see what just happened? I saw an inscription in Corinth that had Erastus named city treasurer, and he is the same man that's mentioned in the book of Romans, chapter 16. You think I didn't get goosebumps? independent archaeological verification that a minor detail almost mentioned as an afterthought in passing that Paul sends his greetings to Rome indi um, indicates a specific individual in Corinth. Now if that detail is that accurate everything else in the Bible must be too. The closer you examine the Bible every minute detail is historically accurate. It is no ordinary book. Well, what about its relevance? Well, I have seen in 25 years of ministry experience that the Bible speaks to every person 
in every situation. It gives solutions for every need and every problem. To those in despair, it gives hope. I read a story about Billy Graham when he went to talk to Winston Churchill in the, in the depths of World War II. And Churchill looked at Graham and said, can you give me any hope? And Graham pulled out a Bible and he started reading to Winston Churchill from the Bible. And at the conclusion of their meeting, Churchill thanked Graham and said, thank you, you have given this old man new hope to fight the battle once again. To those in grief, I'm telling you at funerals, my words falter and fail, but when I read the 23rd Psalm, or when I read from 1 Thessalonians, or from Revelation, or from 1 Corinthians, those passages speak to people and move their hearts in ways that, that my words, anyone's words, simply cannot. To those who are lonely, it gives assurance of God's presence. Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You have the assurance that God is with you. The Bible is as relevant today as it was the day it was written. The Old Testament 3,000 years ago, the New Testament 2,000 years ago, it was relevant then, it was relevant a thousand years, it'll be relevant today, it'll be relevant a thousand years from now if Jesus doesn't come. The Bible will still speak to you over and over again, but you've got to read it. That brings me to the last point, it's depth. George Mueller, who was a philanthropist in, in 19th century England, ministered to the poor children of England. He read the Bible through over a hundred times. I was talking to somebody a few days ago about Bessie Tift, one of the, 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 the forebears of our, of our church here at First Baptist Tift, and she read the Bible through about 20 or 25 times. She just read it continuously. How many books can you read through that many times and still be fascinated and still learn and still plummets depths. What's your favorite book? How many times have you read it? Two, three, four times maybe? And you begin to know it by heart and you know what's going to happen next. The Bible has something new in it every time you read even a chapter, even a few verses. You'll see something there you've never seen before. Some people read the Bible and they say it's boring. Well, maybe they don't have an up-to-date translation. Maybe they're saying more about themselves than they are about this book that they're trying to read. I believe if you dig into it, if you learn its lessons, if you plumb its depths, if you face its challenges, it will feed your soul like nothing else can do. If you have problems and you have challenges and you have struggles, you're watching by television right now because you don't feel like coming to church because you're mad about something, let me tell you, open up the Bible and start reading it and you will find answers there for the challenges that you face in life. This is no ordinary book. It is holy. It is separate and unique and distinct. And there's none other, other like it. It is God's word for God's people for God's time. And that means for us today. There's a legend about a man who was walking in a desert and a voice came to him and it said, pick up some stones and put them in your pocket. You'll be both happy and sad. And so the man did that. He reached down on the ground and picked up some pebbles and put them in his pocket and went to bed that night, woke up the next morning and pulled them out of his pocket. And they had been transformed into diamonds and rubies and emeralds. And he was happy and sad. He was happy that they'd been transformed. He was sad that he hadn't put more pebbles in his pocket. 
And that's the way it is with God's Word. If you take it and place it in your heart, it'll become valuable beyond measure. You'll be sad that you hadn't put more there. It is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. You have a Bible. I tell you, I walk through the Walmart parking lot and I see Sunday school books and Bibles stuck in the dash of cars because that's where they left it Sunday and that's where they'll find it the next Sunday. And that's where it stays. None of our church members. But that's what folks do. You have the Bible and you have something that is historically accurate, that has depth, that has meaning, that has relevance, that has been preserved through so much. So many people gave their lives that you might have this book in your language today. Treasure it. Take these pebbles. Place it in your heart. And God will transform them into valuable jewels of truth. Let's pray. Father, we are just here to thank you for giving us your word. You have revealed yourself to us in so many ways through nature, through experiences of others, through Jesus. But one valuable revelation came to us in your written word. And it is holy. And there is none other like it. And we take it so for granted. We, we lay it down after Sunday school and church. And sometimes don't pick it up again until the following Sunday morning to carry it back with us. And, and we have problems we don't know how to solve. And we have relationships that are at odds. And, and we are scared because of sickness, because of pain and suffering. And the answers to all those problems are found right here in this book that we have neglected to our own misery and shame. Father, help us gain a new respect for your word revealed to us Specifically today, do we thank you for this word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, showing us the way we should go, keeping us safe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to open up the doors of, of fellowship to our church as we conclude our worship service here this morning, if you have a decision to make, professing your faith publicly, rededicating your life, joining this church, if you need to come and pray, the altar is open. I'll be at the front to receive you. You come. We'll stand together and sing. Come sing with us, please. The song cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence, Lord Jesus. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne. 
before the Holy One of Heaven And it's only by your blood And it's only through